0: Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, welcome. we got a great podcast for you today. Your saltwater guide, Captain Dave Hansen. I just want to welcome everybody and thank you all for joining us today. It's Akuma Wednesday. We've been talking about some Akuma products today. Fish Labs, Akuma, always have the Wednesday show. So thank you all for joining us. Those of you on all the podcasts, we are being carried now by every podcast carrier in America. So I want to thank you all the podcast carriers thank everybody that listens to us as you're driving around in your trucks and your cars and any way you're listening to us on any platform I can't thank you all enough and we're going to get going with our show here in just a couple minutes gang what is about to happen in southern california is historic by any by by every account you guys that haven't been paying attention I'm going to break it down here for you today. This is a phenomenal show. It's text the show Wednesdays. We always take questions on Wednesday, and we will do that later in the show. But we have something super important to talk about today. So I'm just letting a few more people jump on here, get the podcast going, everybody. I don't want to start right away with hitting you with this big news, but it is humongous news, gigantic news. What is about to happen in Southern California hasn't happened in a very, very long time. So if you're not watching this, you're going to be listening to it on the podcast side. I understand if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, I'm going to throw up some pictures right now that are going to blow your mind if you follow weather at all. And what is about to happen, gang, is like I keep saying, it's absolutely historic, so Keep an eye on what we're going to throw up here. I want to show you what's starting to develop down here. And this is going to come into Southern Cal- into Southern California. Look at, this is what it looks like Saturday down here in Cabo San Lucas. If this little spinner, and it's not little by any stretch of the imagination, if you look here on the screen, this is a full-blown hurricane. And it's spinning up. If you follow windy.com, you can go and you can look at this if you pay pay or if you don't pay because it's only four days out now. So you can start to see this thing forming down below Mazatlan. This is a big hurricane. This is Saturday at uh, five o'clock in the morning. This thing's just a little bit above Cabo bringing us some rain. If it makes a right turn at all. Well, let me just tell you, Kelly and I went down to Costco last night, and bought a bunch of water and food and stuff because we live up on the hill. And if we get a phenomenal amount of rain, we're going to get trapped up here on the hill. So we prepared for it, got the generator out, got everything ready just in case it makes a little bit of a right turn. If it makes a small turn to the right, it could be gnarly for us. As this thing starts to track up the Baja Peninsula, and I'm gonna show you more pictures here in a couple of minutes, and those of you that are listening as you're driving, this is a big hurricane. We have 91 degree water down here in Cabo San Lucas. Now, I haven't been living down here very long. I got my good friend Cubby Pauls listening. I got Pete Grosbeck. I got a lot of people that have been listening for a long time that have lived through a lot of hurricanes down here. This one's a whopper. And the way that it tracks up the coast is what I'm talking about, about something historical. Those of you that are listening in your car, I'm showing this picture. It shows it spinning off the beach outside of Cabo. Now, I'm going to change the picture. I'm going to show you what happens to this thing on, I believe it is Sunday. Let's see. This is a very fast mover. Look at this. This is Sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning. This shows this thing really ramping it up and really getting tight and really starting to spin with a lot of wind and a lot of moisture, slamming right into Cedros Island, Granero Negro. This is on Sunday. So Saturday, this thing's off of Cabo. On Sunday, it's already at Granero Negro. Watch what happens. This is This is the historic part that we're talking about. You're not even going to believe what I'm about to show you, gang. I've never seen... I know I've not been around very long. But I've never seen this. This is Los Angeles on Monday. So I showed you Saturday, it's in Cabo. Sunday, it's in Granero Negro. Look at it. On Monday... At six o'clock in the afternoon, it's slamming into Avalon, full blown. That is still absolutely gnarly. Now I know that a lot of you have seen way worse than this. I know a lot of you know way more about weather than I do. I've never seen this. I've never seen this. So what I'm showing everybody right now, gang, is this hurricane centered the eye of it is out there by the Cortez bank, but all the all the energy is right there in Avalon. All the energy created by this hurricane is in Avalon on Monday at six o'clock in the afternoon. I think that's a pretty big deal, <laughs> me. Now, what does this mean for Southern California besides a mind boggling amount of rain? You, you guys are going to get rain like you can't even comprehend. If you look at this thing, it just, it builds up so much energy and it's dragging so much water with it as it comes spinning in. And this thing's too hard to believe that it's in Cabo on Saturday and on Sunday afternoon it's in, in Granero ne- or Sunday morning it's in Granero Negro and Monday afternoon it's in L.A., San Clemente. San Diego, it's just unbelievable how quick it moves and how big it is when it gets to Avalon. Look at that red zone I'm showing you. And those of you that are listening on the podcast, gang, there's a huge area of red, which is all the energy that this hurricane is dragging up the coast. We have very warm water down here in Cabo. We got 91 degree water as it goes up the coast on the ridge there, up to um up to Lawrence Quigley's house, Fishworks that thing's gathering energy and gathering power because the water up down there is already 85, 86 degrees. So this thing's got no slowing down in it as it comes slamming into Southern California. I think it's a big deal, gang. I think this is a big deal. Yeah, it's Tropical Storm Hillary, but it has every potential to be a hurricane when it gets there. I don't know. We're going to have to see. This is four days, five days away. As it comes up the coast, though, you go on an app called Windy.com. It's free to look at it. You can track this thing. If you want a little bit better, get the, get their subscription, and you can track these things. And there's another another one just starting to spin up, and it starts to really come together next. You can track It, it starts to come together, and it's going to come firing up the coast the following week. So we're starting to get set up for one after the other, after the other, after the other. The big deal for those of you that fish, and now let's forget about what the wind's going to do and what the rain's going to do and the devastation and all that. As we come out of it, it's going to leave behind a bunch of really hot water and it's dragging all that Dorado and all that tuna and all that marlin that's down here in Cabo and up the Pacific side. All that fish is going to get drugged right up into Southern California. So like we've talked about for the last few weeks, this is going to cause even more historical fishing in Southern California. It's going to be super cool. If you remember the little spinner that went through last year and it completed its task just off of San Diego, it came up all the way to Ensenada before it fell apart. And it brought that phenomenal Dorado fishing that you guys had last year. You, remember, we had historic Dorado fishing. Danor sport fishing, 1,000 Dorado a day for a couple of weeks. It was, it was incredible. It was absolutely an incredible fishery. I think the same thing's going to happen by these storms pushing into Southern California. And I know one of our good friends called me this morning and said that his plumbers said, that hurricanes don't bring good fishing. And I'm like, dude, why are you listening to your plumber first? And uh, if anybody was around last year, you kind of saw what happened as it dumped all that weather into Southern California. It brought a bunch of phenomenal fishing. It brought really fun yellowfin fishing, really fun Dorado fishing. It was incredible, but you also got to be safe and you got to be you got to be paying attention to this one because look at that. And if you look at the weather, I didn't take a picture of the next day, but the next day on Tuesday, this thing falls apart, but it doesn't fall apart until it gets to a Tascadero. So it's going to bring a bunch of weather and a bunch of rain and a bunch of gnarly stuff to the Channel Islands too. This is one of those storms that just doesn't stop giving. It just keeps giving. And that's one of the things about having warm water in Southern California. There's nothing to slow these little spinners down so this thing's going to spin right up into southern california kind of crazy the thing that you could hope for is that it gets into onto the baja peninsula and it'll spin itself out but as long as it stays out there in the water it's going to keep dragging up there now i know this is five days out showing monday but this is all i got all i got is what the what the weather apps show but i thought it was pretty Pretty weird, pretty spectacular, and pretty important to show this to you just so that you had some type of an idea of what's coming as far as weather goes, and you can go check it yourself. and You can keep an eye on it yourself. And I should be sponsored by windy.com because I guarantee you a lot of our viewers are going to go over to windy right now and download the app onto their phone so they can watch this thing. The neat thing about windy is uh, you can look at the weather wherever you are, anywhere you are. You can look at the weather and uh, that's pretty cool to always know what the wind's going to do everywhere you go, where you're fishing, where you're hunting, whatever you're doing. I think that's a pretty cool part of the app. So check it out, go look at it, go look at this hurricane, show your friends, share this, share my show with everybody you can. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we're starting to show out with today is showing you this hurricane, tropical storm, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be crazy. So thanks for checking that part out. Don't forget, today is Text the Show Wednesday. I do my very best to try to answer everybody's questions. If you want to talk about that spinner, we can. If you want to talk about anything else, we can. We can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about. You text the show at 949 374 0786. And don't forget tomorrow is text the show Thursday with Kelly girl. My beautiful wife joins us on Thursdays. And last week you guys did not let me down. I want to thank you all for all the great questions. Kelly girl really, really enjoyed herself yesterday during the show or Thursday during the show. She had a really good time and I'm hoping you all come through tomorrow. Those of you Podcast people listening in your cars and your trucks and you want to ask Kelly Girl a question, feel free to send us your questions now. We'll answer them on air tomorrow. And uh, we got a couple questions already came through. You text the show at 949-374-0786. I'll answer your questions. And one lucky person today is going to win a free shirt. We give away a shirt every Wednesday and every Thursday to one lucky texter. So feel free to text me any question you might have. If you're sending your questions in on YouTube or Facebook, I can't answer those questions. I have to do it from my phone. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Probably, Jack. Absolutely. All right. Can you teach people how to attach their anchor properly to the chain? Majority of boats in the harbor seem wrong with the chain just hooked up to the top hole. Also, how to tie the anchor line proper to the boat cleat when anchor is deployed. Yeah, well, what you're going to want to do as far as tying the anchor line off to the boat cleat, you're going to want to use a uh, a uh, cleat hitch like I show on the 900 videos and get millions and millions of views that I've put out. The cleat hitch is the easiest way to tie up your line, tie up your boat, tie anything up. As far as using a cleat, you're always gonna wanna use a cleat hitch. It doesn't tighten on itself. No matter what the booger eaters say, it doesn't tighten on itself. It's super easy to undo. The cleat hitch is super easy. Watch my hundreds of 900 videos on how to tie the cleat hitch. Or just, if you don't believe me, YouTube, any professor anywhere, or go to Chapman's or go to the Coast Guard and look for cleat hitch. That's how you're going to tie your anchor up. And then as far as attaching your anchor to the chain, what we try to always teach everybody is to, because we anchor 10, 15 times a day, we like to put that trip wire on the the anchor. What is that? Well, if you go to my website, yoursaltwaterguide.com, I show you exactly how to do it. If you look at your anchor, it's got down on the bottom of the anchor it's got a hole. That's where you're gonna hook your chain to, and then you're gonna run your chain up the shaft of the anchor, and then where the where the where the eye is of the anchor that you use, a lot of people put their chain to. That's where you're gonna put your trip wire, a couple wraps of some wire on there. So when you hook the bottom, the trip wire breaks, the anchor falls upside down, pulls right out of the rocks and you can pull it right up. But I have a whole video series on my website at Your Saltwater Guide that show you exactly how to set it up for the tripwire. So that, thank you very much for that question. And uh, it's a perfect way to push you over to check out the greatest fishing website ever made. So thank you, Matt, very, very much for that. And yeah, gang, you can go over to my website, YourSaltwaterGuide.com. When you... You're all gonna be members. We're already at 4,000 plus members. As soon as you guys put your ego back in your tackle box and you're ready to learn how to fish and how to be successful every time you go out on your boat, you'll all jump onto the website. I mean, I know 999 is an awful lot of money for 48 years of uh, experience and then having access to Justin and having access to Sonny and having access to Pablo. $9, $9, that's a lot of money for a month. I understand. And I, believe me, I know it's a lot. I understand. And I know it's hard to figure out if you can afford 9 bucks a month for a bunch of information from a bunch of experts that fish every single day. But let me just tell you, I believe in my heart that it's worth every penny of that $9 a month. The only people that don't like the website are people that have never watched one of the videos. Also on a lot of people sign up to the website because they want the GPS numbers. I, want the, I only want the GPS numbers. If that's all you want, I'm going to blow your mind right now. You can go down to West Marine right now for 9 bucks. You can buy one of those laminated charts that gives you all the GPS numbers that I have on my website. I don't have any super secret GPS numbers on my website that aren't published. Mark Wish's book. They're in Mark's book. They're in uh, West Marine on the laminated charts. You can, you don't have to sign up to Dave's website to get those GPS numbers. The only thing I do do that they don't do is I explain to you how to fish the 1,100 GPS numbers. I explain to you where to anchor on the spot. I explained to you if this is a good spot for uphill current. I explained to you if it's a good spot for downhill current. I explained to you if it works on an offshore wind, onshore wind, all the different things that happen at a spot is what you get at your saltwater guide. So if you just want GPS numbers, go get the laminated chart for nine bucks and do yourself a favor. You don't want to listen to me explain to you how to fish every spot so you're successful when you go fishing. I understand that. There's a lot of people that sign up to the website that never even look at a video. They're the ones that cancel. (laughs) And and I know if you signed up to my website, the fish should just jump in your boat. I understand that. I'm with you. I believe in my heart that just because you sign up, you should always be able to catch fish. But it's not how it works in the real world. You actually have to watch some of the videos and understand conditions and understand current. And understand why you anchor on the spots. There's there's no secrets to any of this stuff, gang. If you're tired of sucking, then sign up to the website. Or if you just want to suck, don't. Sign up to the website, but don't watch any videos. There you go. Then you can continue to suck. But if you sign up to the website, watch the videos. They work. Phenomenal. You can talk to any of the members in the community. You can talk to them, you can ask them. You can find out, does Dave's game plans work? Did the spots work? Does anchoring on the spots work? I don't think any of them that actually are active members that go fishing every day are ever gonna tell you it doesn't work, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't work. But we sure got 4,000 people bamboozled and we got 30, 30 million people bamboozled a month watching us. So pretty funny. All right, this is a perfect question. Thank you, John Stanley. Can we talk about home guards? Why does one yellowtail migrate and the other one stay in one place? Or do they become a home guard after migrating and they get older? I don't think we have the amount of home guards that we had when I started fishing back in the 60s and 70s. Back then... You could go to San Clemente Island and you could see the home guard. You could see the 50, 35 to 40, 50 pound yellowtail swimming around the spot when the water's hundred foot visibility. You see that same old yellowtail swimming around at Mesquite. Then you go up to White Rock and you saw another big home guard yellowtail. And you went went up to Steve's Point. And there was another one. Each spot had its own handful of home guards that you saw every day with line hanging out of their mouths gaff scars on their face and all that kind of stuff. Nowadays, with the epic amount of people that are out fishing every day, I don't think we have the home guards that we used to have. Now I think it's migratory fish that come into our areas, big 30, 40 pounders, they come into our areas and then they get caught. And people love to use the word home guard, but I don't think that's so much of the point anymore where back in the day, we had home guards. We'd see them in the winter time when we were fishing rockfish over at the island. We'd anchor up on one of the spots to relax and fillet fish for hours, and the home guards would swim around and eat the pieces that would fall in the water and stuff like that. I don't think you have that much that anymore. But what we co- home guard was a fish that lived on the spot that you would see day in and day out, month after month, year after year. I don't think we have that so much anymore, but people love that word, love to use that. So that's what I think, John Stanley. And I don't think you have it so much anymore because there's just so many people fishing, but I could be wrong. There's a lot of big fish like that big fish. You hooked the other day down there at La Jolla. That could be a home guard. That was a whopper. That's a big, big, big fish. So he could have been a home guard. I don't know, but, uh, I think there's just too many boats fishing anymore for there to be real, honest to God, home guards, but maybe not. Yep. We used to call them mossbacks. The guys that were just slow swimming, not a care in the world, didn't seem to care about anything. And they just wanted, they just wanted to swim by and let everybody on the boat lose their minds looking at them. And I think they've got a kick, I think the fish themselves got a kick out of it. I think they could hear the the vibration on the boat as everybody ran around the boat looking at them. You can't even believe what it what it looked like back in the 70s when I was working on the Fury 2 and those home guards would swim around the boat at San Clemente Island and, and the people would go nuts. And we only fished the islands so that... Uh... Hi, Cubby, Paul. We only fished the islands because uh, we went out there to catch calico bass and then those silly yellowtail would show themselves for a couple hours and everybody would throw everything in their tackle box at them. One guy might hook them. And then the next day you'd go there and there would be that guy's lure hanging out of their, that fish's mouth. Because the home guards know their, their rock. They know their house. They know their spot. So when they bite your line, they're going straight to the rock and busting you off right away. And back in those days, too, we didn't have any high-tech reels like the uh, Makaira series reels from Akuma. We didn't have any two-speeds. We didn't have braided line. We didn't have all that stuff. So they could tear, tear apart an old pen Jigmaster pretty easy. Nowadays, this Makaira series reel, a fish is going to have a real hard time doing any damage to this reel. He's going to have a real hard time messing with these gears. He's going to have a real hard time when I click this into low gear and start slowly cranking him up to the side of the boat with the rod laying on the rail. The Makaira series reel is an incredible machine. If you listen to John Bretza on the show a month or so ago, when he was telling us all about all... The all the uh, science that went into the gear system on this reel and the drag system on this reel, you'll be blown away at how much time and effort it took to put this thing together. And then you'll understand why this is such a phenomenal machine. Now, this is a 30. And I tell you what, pretty much this two-speed 30 pretty much can handle all the fish down here that I want to fish for. This can handle blue marlins, can handle striped marlin, can handle... uh not a thousand pounder, but it can handle a four and five hundred pounder all day long. It could definitely win you the Bisbees. This reel, this reel can handle some action. Nowadays, you don't really need the gigantic reels now that we fish with braid all the time. But the Makaira series reels, they go all the way down to the size 10. These things are incredible fishing machines. You will not be disappointed. I love this smoked, this gray color, the gun smoke color. I love this color. Everybody. Everybody's got a gold reel. Nobody's got a smoke, gun smoke colored reel. But these things are a a machine. And this big power handle with this big grip, it's going to help you so much for just grinding these these big fish in or a home guard yellowtail or whatever you're fishing for. The Makaira series is the way to go. It's going to absolutely revolutionize your fishing. The Makaira Series reel will help you out so much you'll be blown away. So check out the Makaira Series at your local tackle stores. Go to Akuma.com. Check out the Makaira Series. You won't be disappointed. Justin Botrells caught plenty of fish using his Makaira 32 speeds. If you watch his videos, he shows you dragging the Mad Mac around on the back of his boat using these Mac 30s. Two speeds. They're, they're flawless. They work tremendous. We got a big announcement. Justin's going to be on the show to tell you guys. But Justin is going to open up his book and his schedule, and he's going to be available because he's getting so many calls. So many people want him to go. He's just going put his, to put his regular job on hold for a little while, and he's going full speed into this guy thing. Do not forget to give Justin a call. Now that I just announced it, Justin, you're going to book up so fast because he's been turning people down. If you've gotten turned down because he didn't have the time, dial this number right now. 951-703-9442. You can get in with Justin. He's opening up his schedule. You're not going to believe when you look at the community at your saltwater guide and all the love that Justin gets from everybody he goes fishing with, there's not one foul word said about Justin. Oh, I said it wrong. There it is. There's his phone number. He just put it up on the, here, I'll throw that up there. So those of you who are looking on the screen can see it. 951-703-9442. Give Justin a call, text message him. Those of you listening on the podcast, pull over to the side of the road right now and send him a text message and tell him, save me a date, gang. This hurricane that's spinning up there, Hillary, tropical depression, whatever you want to call it, tropical storm, whatever it is, it's dragging a bunch of fish with it. It's dragging a bunch of fish into Southern California. When we get out of the backside of this thing, You're going to be blown away by the amount of fish that are going to show up. So do not get caught with your pants down and do not miss out on Justin. And Sonny, he's down here in Cabo right now. As soon as I'm done with the show, I'm taking Sonny to the airport. Sonny's booked up solid for this month. He's got nothing in July. He's got some dates in September. You guys, if you want to go learn the Channel Islands, I think it's going to dump a bunch of marlin up there and a bunch of stuff. And uh, I don't think we're done seeing the sea bass. And they haven't even had the yellowtail bite up at the Channel Islands that they normally have. That hasn't happened yet. So you got a chance to get with Justin. You got a chance to get with Sonny. And then like we had on the show Monday, Pablo, all three of my guides are super busy. But if you don't get in on their book, if you don't get in, you're going to be out. If you're sick and tired of trying to figure this fishing thing out on your own, and i I know. Well, what do I want to take? Just, okay. How much is fuel now? Six, seven dollars a gallon in California? You don't want to be wasting your money on fuel trying to figure this thing out on your own. And maybe you have it all figured out already, but you just want some justification on what you're doing. Take one of my guides with you. San Diego, you got Pablo. Orange County to... uh, Marina Del Rey, you got Justin. And anything above Marina Del Rey, you got Sonny. And they both, all three of them will blend into whatever area you want them. They, their cars drive up and down the five freeway just fine. They can go to any harbor you want to send them to. I'm telling you, it's going to change what, what you catch on your boat. And then Monday, if there, any one of those three guys aren't working, we bring them on the shows on Monday and they summar, summarize their weekends. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to have Justin or Sonny on the show the last couple weeks because they're working every day. As soon as they have some time, they'll be available to chit-chat with you. But do not miss out on getting one of these guys on your boat because it's going to change what you catch. All right. Dave, from your show yesterday, what weight is the best for practicing casting with? Best way to avoid a bird's nest. Thanks, Dave Lee. Okay, yesterday we were talking about the best way to avoid the bird's nest is the way you wind your line back onto your reel. It's important to wind it on tight and wind it on level. So those two things are super important. I would never practice with it with more than one ounce. And a half ounce or a quarter ounce piece of rubber, though, not lead. Keep the lead off when you're practicing. You're not fishing. You're practicing casting. If you put on a piece of lead with a hook on it, you're going to be banging it off other people's boats, smashing windows, smashing cars. It's not good. You want a piece of rubber. They sell them at almost every tackle store has a casting rubber that you can throw. It's a piece of rubber or plastic or whatever the hell you want to call it, but it doesn't have any hooks on it. It's just to learn how to cast. Half ounce would be phenomenal. If you can cast a half ounce, you can cast anything. Practice, practice, practice. Start out with one ounce. Once you get that kind of mastered, then drop down to a half ounce. Now you can cast the anchovy. And one ounce, you can cast the sardine. Half ounce, you can cast the anchovy. And then the old days, we used to use a clothespin. It's super important to keep your thumb on the spool. When you go to cast, you release your thumb right at the right time, but leave it laying on the spool so that you can slow it down. The minute it hits the water, you want to stop the line from peeling off the reel because once there's no, there's no weight on it and the line's still coming off, it doesn't go anywhere, but just fluffs your reel up and expands. When you're casting the weight, the line's actually traveling in the air out so it's not, the spool's not just spinning with the line coming off of it. That's what causes a backlash. As soon as your lure, your weight, your piece of rubber, whatever it is, hits the water or hits the ground, you have to stop the spool. That's the, companies have been trying to figure that out for years. They've been putting all kinds of casting controls on the reels, trying to make it so that you can cast that. But the thing that they can't do it, when you put some type of a casting control on a reel, it slows down the castability of the reel. It starts to put pressure on the spool, so you cannot cast as far. So I would suggest not getting that type of reel with the cast control on it. I would suggest just free freewheeling it, trying to figure out how to do it with a regular reel. Cause those ones that are designed to teach you how to cast, they don't work anyway. I'm sorry. If you have one and it works for you, good for you, but it's a gimmick. It doesn't really work. I'm sorry. It's never it's just because it just, just can't see it. that cast control can't tell when the bait hits the water. So, and it's got a magnet on it and it's slowing the spool down. So, it's slowing your distance of your cast down. Those things don't work. And I'm sorry if you make that real. Good for you. And I hope you sold a million of them. But it's a gimmick. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to blow your pants down, but it's a gimmick. All right. Dave, thanks for the shirt. When fishing the L.A. coast, what would be the deciding factor when choosing to fish horseshoe kelp versus Rocky Point? All right. First of all, time. If you don't have a lot of time, you're going to come out of San Pedro Harbor and you're going to go right to the horseshoe because you don't have a lot of time. But if you look at our spots videos and you listen to what Sean Morgan had to say, and we were blessed to have Sean, who made us living fishing on the horseshoe, for a very long time. That's how he bought his houses and his cars, fed his kids, by fishing the horseshoe. So we are blessed to have him explain the horseshoe to us in that video series on how to fish the horseshoe. If you listen to what he says, there's so many spots on the horseshoe that you can actually spend the day going from spot to spot to spot, Matt. And you'll find one of those spots that are gonna bite winter, spring, summer, or fall. There's always stuff to catch on those spots if you fish them right and you have some conditions. If you have more time, absolutely. Rocky Point's a fun place to go to up there. It's a really neat fishery with big giant kelp beds, which the Horseshoe has no kelp. It's called the Horseshoe kelp, but there hasn't been any kelp there since the 50s. And that's another show for another day, and we can talk about why there's no kelp there. I've done that show many times. That's a Monday show, and it's gonna cause a bunch of controversy, and it's gonna make a bunch of people cry but uh, we're not going to talk about that today because it's all positive and happy times here today, but there's no kelp on the horseshoe. There's actually no kelp once you get below Point Furman until you get to below Newport, and then you start to get some kelp down there at number one, number two, and then all through Laguna, Salt Creek, and then down through Dana Point and all those areas, you start to get some more kelp and some more kelp and some more kelp, but Up there in that horseshoe area, that was all covered up, and we'll talk about that on another show and why it got all covered up and what it did. Okay, big shout-out to Justin. Once again, another person. Totally stoked with your service, Justin. Thanks for getting me the flag, and thanks for the advice on my bait tank. And for some reason, this guy thinks you're a great guy. I don't know why, but uh, big shout-out to Justin. Thank you very, very much for the shout-out. Okay, Captain Dave, how many days after the storm should you go out to take advantage of its effects right away? As soon as that wind stops blowing, you got to start going. It's dragging so much stuff up. But what I would say is if we get the rain that they're talking about, there's going to be a lot of debris out there floating around. I know we had a lot of rain back in January and February and into March. But now all the stuff that's blown down with the winds and, the, and all the different things that have been thrown out of your cars and out of the trash and all over the place, all that stuff that's laying in the, in the riverbeds and everything, if we get the rain they're talking about, it's all washing back out into the ocean. So you very easily could be fishing a floating cow. You could be fishing a floating dog or a floating cat or a roof of a shed. There's going to be so much debris field out there after this big volume of rain, if it actually occurs. And I know the weather can change and everything can be different, but right now it looks like epic amount of rain on Monday afternoon and Monday evening. If that's the case, there's going to be a lot of debris, which is going to hold a lot of Dorado and that Yellowfin will get on that debris. The debris is just like a kelp paddy. It's floating out there on the surface of the water and you got a good chance of catching fish. As soon as the storm goes by, I would say Thursday, Monday, that storm goes by. Tuesday is probably going to be pretty ripped up. Wednesday, Thursday, I'd be out there looking, depending on wind. As long as it's not windy, Wednesday, Thursday should be great days to be offshore looking around, stumble into that fish that's going to get drugged up here. So that's, that's my suggestion to you. Thanks, Jason, for the question. And then here we go. Dave Lee, you're very, very welcome. Gang, we still got 20 minutes. If you got some questions, anything you got, give me, send me your message, 949-374-0786. I'll do anything I can to try to answer your questions. I, I want to answer your questions. I want to send you a shirt. We're going to give away another shirt today to one lucky texter. It's still up in the air. I haven't picked who's getting the shirt yet. Could be you. All you got to do is send in your question. But man, those of you that just jumped on here and are wondering what we're talking about about this storm, this is the storm I'm talking about. Look at this. Mess. That is on Monday at six o'clock in the afternoon in L.A. Look at Avalon, dark red at Avalon. That is tropical depression or tropical storm or hurricane Hillary, whatever you want to call it. That thing tracks up the Baja in three days. It's in Cabo on Saturday. There it is right off of Cabo Saturday morning, five o'clock. And there it is Monday in L.A., That's going to be pretty amazing, gang. If you haven't seen this yet, you can go to windy.com. You can check it out on there. I think that's pretty impressive, the way that thing comes barreling in. I'm a weather guy. I like weather. I think it's cool. I think it's a neat phenomenon. I know sometimes it can make life a living, H-E-L-L, but this thing could be very interesting, the amount of fish that it's going to draw up into Southern California. It could be very, very interesting. So I just wanted to show you guys that again. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what we started the show out talking about. Those of you listening on the podcast, I just showed this storm that's coming up from Cabo into California, and it's going to come slamming into L.A. on Monday night. That should be pretty interesting, I think. When the sea lion grabs your troller, what is the best way to not lose your lure? Well, if he gets it in his mouth, Tighten your drag up as tight as you possibly can and try to break it off. If he's got it in his mouth, you're not getting it back. It's over. Those things have 10 times the bite pressure of a pit bull. You don't want to, you do not want to mess with the sea lion, especially a sea lion with a hook in his mouth. He's a pissed off animal. You just get him as close as you can before you cut the line. Cause you, at the end of the day, he's still an animal and you don't want a big, long piece of line hanging off of him get him as close as you can before you cut the line so he just has a short piece but unfortunately that's one of the things that happens i have no control over that i didn't they're not my animal i didn't make them i didn't put them out in the ocean so horrible things happen i don't know how you get the hook out of his mouth matt what are some suggestions for feather lures for the yellow fin and color sizes okay what I always say is smaller is better. Remember, elephants eat peanuts. I think people drag too big allures lures around anyway. I always have. I like to use the small uh, feathers, the little jet heads. You can see them on our website at Your Saltwater Guide. I like to match the hatch. Right now, it's mostly anchovies that these tuna are feeding on out here. Real small anchovies, so if you can get those. Little jet heads the size of your index finger, the four-inch ones. Those things are phenomenal. The hoochies, the little hoochies, the little squid-looking lures. Get those, little daisy chains of those. Small jet heads in the blue and whites, the green and yellows. I was saying the oranges and the reds for a long time because of the amount of red crabs. And I can't believe that the red crabs haven't invaded Southern California, but I'm sure they're just a day or two away. I think reds and oranges work very, very well. We have a whole video on how I believe the lures you should be fishing with. It's over on our trolling section on yoursaltwaterguide.com. But I think smaller is better. And then you got to look out behind your boat and you want to put the lures in the windows. What I mean by that is you look behind your boat and you look where there's no whitewash. And there's little holes, and you can put them in the windows. But you want them somewhere near the turbulence also. You don't want them so far back there that there's no disturbance because yellowfin are a very curious tuna, and they'll come right into the propeller wash to see what's going on. And then here's your little lure dragging around back there. Whammo. All you need is to hook one. Once you hook that first one, forget about the trolling fish, and that's a whole another show. We could just talk about trolling for an hour. I could talk about trolling all day. But once you get bit, throw a handful of bait out behind the boat. Don't brail a scoop. Throw five or six out there. Grab your bait stick. Cast out a bait with a hook on it. Then start to worry about the trolling fish. That trolling fish is already yours. There's no reason to lose your mind. Most people lose their minds when they get bit trolling and everything's focused. Three guys are standing there watching one guy winding the trolling fish and no one threw a bait in the water. Guarantee you, gang, it wasn't one tune out there swimming around by himself. He had some friends that are dying to eat the bait that you have in your bait tank. And they want to eat the one with the hook on it so they can get in that white bag and go home with you. So remember that. Okay? Yeah, Monday will finally give the sailboaters something to do. That's for sure. But too many booger eaters are going to go out on Monday because they just can't understand that Monday is going to be an absolutely crazy day. It's going to be scary on the water. It's something that most people haven't seen that live in Southern California. So, hey, Captain Dave, what's the trick to fishing isers? Well, first of all, you need to be a member of the website. That'll help you tremendously on how to fish, how to strip your pieces of squid, how to fish your rubber lure, how to fish the sliding sinker, the proper size hook. Isers is a very, very big spot with lots of rock piles. The key is to anchor on it without losing your anchor. The key is to have a chum bucket so that when you anchor on it, you throw the chum bucket over, that starts to increase the prey density level in the water. All the fish that are living on the reef start to come up off of the reef to see what's going on with all the food raining down onto the reef from your chum bucket. It's just like raining food. They start to move up the water column.. There's your little strip of squid, little thin strip, not a big square meal chunk. It's a thin strip. put on your thread it onto your hook. All these are available on the website, your saltwaterguide.com, how to cut your squid, how to fish your squid, how to do that. Once you get that fish up off the bottom, then you can start to fly line sardines or anchovies, those things are all full of sand bass and calico bass and sheephead and sargo and triggerfish and sculpin and many different types of rockfish. The Iser's reefs are covered in fish. Most people, the problem is first they drift on them because they don't know how to drop their anchor. The spots aren't that big. So when you drift across them, you're off them quick. Now you're out in the mud and the sand, and you're catching sand dabs or you're catching nothing. Then you got to drive all the way back to the rock pile again. And then you drift across it again, and it takes a couple seconds because 99.9% of the time up there in uh, LA, L.A., Long Beach area, that wind howls. Very, very few times is it not windy up there. If you don't want to anchor, you got to get to Isers early in the morning. That way you can spend more time drifting across the spot. But the thing we teach everybody on our website, and you didn't leave your name, so I don't know who you are, so you can't. I can't send you a shirt either because you didn't leave me your name. But the thing about all the spots, there... You have to anchor on them. I'm not talking about fishing with Jimmy Decker, fishing plastic lures, bang, 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 hit that rock pile, catch a couple of fish, move to the next one. I'm talking about setting on a spot, catching a fish every time you throw your line in the water for hours on end. That's done by anchoring on the spot because the ocean is a giant desert with these little tiny oases, which we call spots. If you're not on the spot and you just drift by a spot and then a couple hours later you drift by a spot and a couple hours later you drift by a spot, then every once in a while you'll catch a fish. But what we teach over at Your Saltwater Guide and all my members will tell you, we teach you how to catch all the fish that live on the spot. Because that's why we go fishing. We go fishing to catch fish. We don't go fishing just to cruise around and have a good time and drink beer and pick our nose and eat our boogers. We're going fishing to catch fish. That's why we go. That's why we anchor. That's why we bring a chum bucket. That's why we fish with the right size hook, the right size line, the right size weight. Every single thing matters. And anchoring is probably the biggest trick to fishingizers. That is probably the biggest trick to fishing 99.9% of the spots. I know. I'm not talking about fishing halibut. That's a whole nother show. And we've done that show 15 times and we can do it again. And that's about drifting, but it's not the same. And I'll send you to the spots where the halibut are and you can drift those spots and you can catch a bunch of halibut. Whatever you're trying to accomplish, believe me, I have videos all about it. I loved a guy made a comment the other day. Oh, you're a saltwater guy. That's for beginners. Huh, really? Huh. So you think an informational-based website is only for beginners. That's pretty... That just shows how educated that person is, how smart that person is. If you got a website and you want to talk about someone else's website, that's not good for you. And it's really not healthy for you to talk about a guy that gets 30 million views a month's website. It's probably not real good for your business. We'll leave it at that. And hopefully they don't make any more stupid comments because then we'll have to help them out with their website. And I'd be more than happy to help. If you know what I mean? All right. So gang, no more questions. We got 10 minutes here. If you got a question, a burning question and whoever sent in the question about Iser's reef, send me your name. You could be the one that wins that t-shirt because it allowed me to give a bunch of information Gang, gang, Don't get caught with your pants down in this little weather we got coming through here. Make sure your house is ready. Make sure you're, because it's going to dump a lot of water in California, it looks like to me. So make sure everything's ready. I know you already had a lot of water, but we haven't had any water for a couple of months in Southern California. So you're going to get a lot of rain. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you got everything you need to be ready for this. Don't listen to your, your plumber or your dentist or your, are your gynecologist about fishing. That's not where you want to get your information from. I don't know what... <laughs> Brian, thank you. Thank you, there you go. All right, I don't know what Tuesday looks like. I haven't looked at the weather for Tuesday, so I don't know. I was just asked that question. Do I think the offshore fishing's gonna be good? I would hope so. I would sure hope so. But we have to see what's left over from the weather. What is the craziest thing you have seen out fishing, Jack? Thank you. I've seen a couple of crazy things. I think one of the coolest things I ever saw was what me and Kelly Girl were talking about on the show last Thursday. I've seen it more than once, but when I was able to show Kelly Girl all the albacore swimming on the tail of the blue whale... That was a pretty spectacular day. It was flat glass, calm, sunny, beautiful, purple-blue water. When we were driving on that blue whale's tail, as he would go up and down, you would see the albacore come off of it, swim back under it, as he would thrust forward. It was crazy. That was a pretty spectacular thing. Another time, I was fishing up off of Morro Bay, and there had to be 200 humpback whales up there, just hanging out. We were fishing cod up there, commercial rock cod fishing and this was probably in the early 80s and uh all these humpback whales were up there and they were like splashing their tails and their big peck fins and there had to be 200 of them and you could see them on the radar and that was a crazy 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 day I've seen a lot of white sharks I saw a yeah we have One of the coolest videos, me and my son went out when the White Sharks first showed up off of Dana Point. I don't know, 2013, 2014, something like that. Me and my son went down to Hogan's Tackle and we got one of those mud flaps they call them. They're a rubber tuna. We took one of those rubber mud flap tunas. We went down to to, uh, Capo Beach. And there was a bunch of juvenile white sharks. They were all like six to eight foot long white sharks swimming all around in the surf. And literally you could go there every day and see them. And we went down there, my son and a couple of his buddies, and we took that mud flap. And it's on my son's Facebook and I want him to give it to me. The quality's not great, but it's pretty cool. And we took that mud flap. It was probably a foot and a half, two feet long, looked like a shadow of a yellowfin. We threw that out on the water, and we would hand feed it back to the boat, and it would do that, and the white shark chased it five times. And on the last time, he got so pissed that we were messing with him that at the last second, he just flipped next to the boat and just threw a bunch of water on my son and his friends. That was pretty cool. Another time I was at Guadalupe Island on A friend of mine stands boat. It's called Shared Dreams. It's a 44 Pacifica. And we were down there fishing a place called Battleship. And uh, we had this white shark that had to be 15 feet long. He was a monster. And he was swimming around the boat for 20 minutes. And we had some yellowfin tuna in in the big white bag with the zipper on it and the ice in it. I took one of those yellow fin out. I cut it real quick and I tied the carcass by the tail and I would throw it out in the water. Everybody was standing up on the uh, flybridge filming and I would slowly drag that carcass back to the boat and the white shark would follow it up to the boat. Right when he would go to bite it, I'd pull it out of the water. And we got some of the most beautiful shots of his jaws opening and closing. And I did that for 10 minutes. And then the shark as most things are, is way smarter than me. At the last second, I thought he went under the boat and he was going to do a circle and come around and we would do it again. And I tossed that tuna carcass in the water and I was just standing there talking to the guys that were taking videos above me and I was just talking to him and I was just holding it there waiting for the shark to do his... And he did a U-turn under the boat and he grabbed that rope or he grabbed that carcass and he started pulling on it as hard as he could, and I was trying to hold the rope, and it was literally burning my hands. But I was hanging on to it. At the last second, the tail broke off and came flying back to me at like a hundred miles an hour and hit me right square in the in the in the uh, where my two legs touch at the top and the V right there. What do you call that? I can't say the word because I don't want to get banned. But it hit me right there, dropped me to my knees like a rat eating cheese. That was a pretty spectacular day. That was pretty funny. But yeah, I've seen a lot of white sharks in my life driving around in the ocean. They're a pretty aw- awesome animal. Whenever they swim around the boat, everything seems to go into slow motion. I haven't had the... T- oh, there's Marley finally joining. the Hey, Marley, finally joining the show. There he is right above my head. Those of you that wonder what that little animal is, if you've never seen the show before, that's Marley. That's Marley, my, uh, my monkey. He is a very cool monkey. Jerry Foster, yes. Listen, when you find kelp patties, he's asking me about kelp patties. You can only find them in the current break. 99.9% of the time, the kelp patties in the current break, when there's a whole bunch of them stacked up in there, we call that the dump. We call that the poop pile. You're normally not going to find anything in there because the water's stagnant in the current break and it's not moving and there's nothing going on and the water's all funky, funky, funky because it's full of trash and garbage and stuff. So the Dorado aren't going to be in there. They're not going to be hanging out in there. You're not going to find much in there. You have to find a kelp paddy floating alone by itself outside of a current break. These kelp patties aren't easy to find these tuna aren't easy to find. It's all about time on water and looking. And a really, really, really good pair of binoculars, gang. And not fishing for boats and staying away from boats. The one sad thing about this kelp paddy fishing, and I think we'll do that show Tuesday or something, is uh, if there's boats in the area, then they probably have already fished those kelp patties. That's when I talk about clean water. It's not so much the clarity of the water, it's the water that a bunch of boats aren't driving around in. Another thing that's fun to do while you're looking for kelp patties is to tie a couple of lures on your Makaira and put them out behind the boat and drag them around at six, seven knots. Yeah, Cubby, hit me right there. It was spectacular. and We had that video floating around for a while, but that thing hit me so hard, and it was like the shark got his revenge. Absolutely. But gang, you want to drag a couple of feathers while you're looking for kelp patties because there's nothing better than getting a blind jig strike. It makes your whole day. But you want to have it on a good reel so you have a chance to wind it up because with what's going on out here right now, you can easily hook a 200-pound yellowfin or easily hook a 400-pound bluefin while you're dragging feathers around looking for Dorado. You want to slow down six, seven knots, and look. You cannot look on your boat at 20 knots. I'm just telling you. You cannot. Thank you, Jack. If you were there, we would have that video. I need Jack to film videos for me. Jack, you're the master. Could you imagine how many people would watch if you were filming my videos? But, um, gang. There's nothing better than getting a blind jig strike while you're looking for kelp patties. But you guys, if you're driving around, if your boat does 25 or 30 knots and that's what you drive around at all day looking for fish, you're missing fish. You can't see. I don't care who you are. You can't see. Now, if you're on an 80-foot Viking, you can do 30 knots around and you can see because it's stable and it's got a sea keeper. But you're on your boat, 15, 25, 30-foot boat, you're getting that. You're driving around at 25, 30 knots. You cannot look with a pair of binoculars, not even gyros. And that's super gnarly on your pair of gyros to get them to try to be able to look while you're going that fast. Slow down, gang. It's your day to go out fishing. Get out in the zone that you want to find some fish. Slow down and start looking. We'll have a show all about looking and all about trolling and all about... There's so many things we can talk about every day on the show. But uh, we're running out of time here. It's already one o'clock. I know a lot of you got to get back to work, and I'm sorry. How close or how far away do you stay from a kelp patty? That's a great question. This is the last one I'm taking. I've done this kelp patty seminar a hundred times at the trade shows at Fred Hall at, at uh Pacific Coast Sport Fishing. Stop sneaking up on kelp patties. The guy that wrote the book, or the person that told you that's never been out on the water, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They've never been on a boat. They don't know. Anybody that tells you to sneak up on a kelp patty, listen. I, we're gonna leave you with some funny humor here on kelp patty fishing. You ever been on? Anybody here ever been on a sport boat? You ever been on a sport boat? They're nine sixty-five to ninety-five feet long, hundred feet long made out of steel, made out of aluminum or made out of wood or fiberglass. They got 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, hundred people on them. They're yelling and screaming. The bathroom doors are slamming on the bungee cord. Wham, 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 wham. Guys on the PA, number seven, your cheeseburgers ready. Number seven. You ever seen a sport boat sneak up on a kelp patty? No. And I drove sport boats for a long, long time. We drive right up to the edge of the paddy. We drop our lines in the water. We, if there's fish on it, we catch them. If there's not fish on it, we don't catch them. But we never sneak up on a paddy. That is the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest thing. And when I, I used to be a really bad human. I've been sober now 35 years. I'm not as bad a human as I was. I was a bad human. And what I would do is I'd look at my binoculars and I'd see you on your private boat and I'd see you up swell of the kelp paddy, eighth of a mile, because you're sneaking in on it and your buddy said, the wind's blowing out of the Northwest. If we get up above, turn the radio off. Shh. Turn the radio off. Turn the, turn the stereo down. Oh, we don't want to scare the fish on the kelp. Shh. And I'd see you in the binoculars and I'd just turn my sport boat and I'd drive right between you and the paddy and I'd stop and we'd kill every fish on the paddy. And then I'd drive away and I'd go, God, I hope I find another boat trying to sneak up on a paddy. That's the dumbest thing in the world. Gang, you're not going to scare those fish on the paddy. Drive up to it. Right up to it. Right up to the edge of it my sister's brother's cousin said that's not how you do it. I don't care what they said, dude. I fish every single day. Go watch my videos on how to fish a patty. I drive right up to it. I look in the water. If I see fish swimming around it, I go, hey, there's fish on this thing. If I see fish on the phenomena, on the up and down fish finder thingamajiggy you guys have on your boat, I tell everybody there's fish on it. Let's throw a little chump. If every rod on the boat's bent, when I stop, I tell everybody, hey, there's fish on this thing. Gang, don't sneak up on a patty from today forward ever again. Don't do it. It's silly. It's the dumbest thing in the world. It's lame. It's lame. If, you're, if someone told you to sneak up on the patty, don't invite them back out on your boat again because they're bugger eaters and you don't need them. You need real good People that want to learn and want to fish. And the next time your friend says, hey, 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 Jack, there's four boats over there. We should go. Don't you think we should go check out, see what they're doing? There's four. Jack, now there's five boats over there, Jack. We should go over there, Jack. Tell them, gang, we're not here to fish for boats. If you wanted to fish for boats, we would have stayed in the harbor. There's a million boats in the harbor. We could have just drove up and down every Dock all day, every day, and fish for boats. Stop being a booger eater. Only if you don't sign up for my website. If you're signed up to my website and you're doing this booger eater stuff, don't put the flag up, please. I don't want anybody to see my guys being booger eaters. Don't sneak up on patties. Don't fish for boats. Thank you very much. We got to pick a winner here. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's my favorite. I love to do that. I get 45 minutes of that kelp patty thing at a at a stand-up seminar and I have the crowd roaring. It goes on for a long time and I'm I get it go <laughs> I get it going pretty good. It's it's a good one. I love that one. I do love that one. Thank you. As a matter of fact, I love that one so much. Jerry. You won the shirt. Jerry, send me your Shirt size and your address, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Foster, because you know what? that. So Jerry, you got a shirt because you asked the first question about the kelp. I'm giving away two shirts today, gang. And then, whoops. And then Matt R, send me your shirt size because I love that Kelp Patty thing. It, it's just a fun seminar for me and I love making people laugh. So both of you guys, send me your shirt sizes and your addresses, and I'll get Kelly Girl on that as soon as I get off the show. I got to take Sonny to the airport, gang. I went a little bit over. Sonny's chomping at the bit to get to the airport. Also, his boy, Fisher, wants to see Marley one more time before he leaves because there is nobody else on the planet that you can come hang out at their house and has a pet monkey. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show today. Thank you very much, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Don't forget, Kelly Girl's on the show. I need you to send in those messages for Kelly. Don't forget. Don't let me down, please. Sprinkle some stars. Let me know you love me. Bye.